once again to those of you who are in Cornwall or Canada, whether you're here, whether you're at home. Uh, it's a pleasure to be worshiping together. And we're going to continue our 21 days of prayer and fasting, our 21 days of prayer series by looking at spiritual disciplines. And so I want to read a quote, and then we're going to talk about two different spiritual practices this week. John Mark Homer says this, To win... We need access to a power that is beyond us. We access the power of the Spirit by engaging spiritual practices. Willpower is at its best when it does what it can, so it can direct my body into spiritual practices. So I do what I can do, so the Spirit's power then can do what my willpower cannot do, which again, in my own strength, I can't overcome the world, the flesh, my own flesh, or the works of darkness or the devil. In my own strength, I can't do it. We need a power of the Holy Spirit. So again, spiritual practices that we're talking about this entire month, they position us to live by a power that is beyond us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And here is another way, or here is another area, what is meant by living by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not this ethereal thing that is out there. It's actually a very practical thing that we can do, though it is supernatural, and though it has some pretty spectacular moments. You know, in 2022, which is not new in this year, it's been, it's been, we've been in this probably for the last decade or so, but there's a lot of focus on self. We live in a culture that is saturated with self. And it's the dominant teaching of the day. It's the dominant narrative of the day. And so, again, there's whether it's self-love, self-awareness, uh, self-expression. And I think all of these are good tools. And so it could be a personality tool or an Enneagram thing over here or a leadership learning over there. Or it could be, you know, you know knowing yourself, figuring out yourself, self-awareness, all those things. I mean, again, I don't want you to live with a lack of self-awareness. That's not good. So these areas, though, of the self which are everywhere in education, all popular media, all movies, everything is about self. Here's what I want you to know. Between all of these good tools that are available, there needs to be a line in every follower of Jesus' life between living a life that is rooted in self and somewhere it becomes then, with all these good tools, there's got to be a line between those good things and living an entire life that is self-determined. What I mean by that is a life where you define and determine everything about you, where you discover everything that is about you, because here's what is true as a follower of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. In other words, your job is to follow me. That's what you can do. Jesus's job is to work on you and in you in a way that makes you who he has called and created you to be. He's God. So is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And so the Holy Spirit knows how you're wired, how you're created. And here's what I promise you. If you're living a life that is entirely self-determined, where you determine everything in your life, you will not live a Spirit-empowered life. Because there will be moments where the Holy Spirit asks you or invites you to do something that if you say, for example, like, ooh, I can't, Holy Spirit, I can't do that. I can't go talk to that person. I can't serve that person. I can't do this. I didn't know if you knew, but I'm an introvert. I don't do those things. No, you may not do those things in your personality, but by the power of the Spirit, you can do something in a moment different. It doesn't mean he's going to ask you to do it every single time, but it means that there are times and there are seasons. I've used the example in my life that I don't have the spiritual gift of discernment. It's not a strong gift in my life that is available every single day. But it doesn't mean that there haven't been moments in my life where the Holy Spirit has given me supernatural discernment. 
There are times, same thing, I don't have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but it doesn't mean that there are not moments where I have not prophesied. And the spirit of prophecy hits a room, all of a sudden you're exercising a gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are some of you, there are some of you, you're living your entire life self-determined, and that's what's actually stopping the flow of the Holy Spirit moving afresh in your life, because you're defining everything about who you are and everything that you do. So again, part of what we're talking about is trusting, and it's surrendering, and it's walking in the power of the Spirit, empowered in a different way. So last week we spoke about prayer and fasting, and today we're going to teach through two different spiritual practices. We're going to tilt a little bit more on one, and we're almost going to just season the other. And here's the question I want to ask you today. How do you quiet down the noise? How do you personally quiet down the noise, whether it is out there or whether it is in here? Or sometimes the noise is out there, and it gets in here. How do we quiet down the noise enough to be able to hear God's word, be able to hear God's voice, to be able to take the step that he's asking us to take? Because here's the challenge that every generation faces. The noise that is everywhere, and it is really, really noisy. A diagnosis can bring noise. A life change can bring noise. A moving into a different season of life can bring noise. Of course, collectively going through a global pandemic makes things incredibly noisy. The noise everywhere isn't going to quiet down anytime soon. And here's what's true. God doesn't seem to speak at the same volume or decibel level as the noise around us, does he? He never has, though. And this isn't new in 2022 because we have digital and internet. That's not new. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you can see a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah experiences great wind, and he experiences an earthquake, and he experiences fire. And it says that God wasn't in any of those things. And then came this low whisper, this quiet voice. And it says God was found in the whisper. And I love what the Bible says. It says that God was found in the whisper, and Elijah could hear it. It's this incredibly important principle. The psalmist, one of the most famous, outside of Psalm 23, this is probably one of the most quoted psalms. Psalms chapter 46, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. So the question again is, how do you be still when you cannot still anything out there? How do you get stillness in here? When you can't quiet everything out there, how do you get quiet in here? It's a really important question. Because in life, outside and inside noise, it's going to be constant. And in all of our pursuits, you know what Canadians rarely do? We, we rarely pause. We rarely pause. And in fact, even since introduction of digital media, we, even rare, we, we rarely pause even left less, I should say. You know, I've, try, I've tried something this week. I was praying, and I felt the Holy Spirit ask me to do something. I felt him to ask me just to kind of like leave my phone at home when I was going to run errands. I felt a little bit like, well, what if somebody needs me? Well, they'll figure it out. I'm not that necessary. But you know what I ended up doing? I went into a store, and you know what the Lord blessed me with? Two lines that were over 15 minutes long each. <laughs> Do you know what, like a complete psychopath, you look like just standing in the line with no phone? 
people started to get nervous around, like, what is that guy doing? Just standing, just, just standing there. How's it going? Nice to see you. If you get eye contact with someone, this is what they do. They look right down. But I stood in the line and I just prayed, Lord, anybody you want me to encourage? Anything you want me to do here? And gratefully, the answer was no. No, I kid. I kid. I got to the front of the line. And normally I get a little frustrated. I got to the front of the line. I was, here, I was picking up something for the church. And the individual looked and they said, I can't find it. I said, well, that's a bit of a problem. I just waited in this line for 15 minutes. I got to the front, nothing, can't find it. I said, well, I'd, well what would you like me to do? Because I can't find it from this side of the counter. What would you like me to do? I said, I don't know. I said, well, would it help you if I came back tomorrow? I said, oh, that would be a big help. I said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. I took one for the team. <laughs> Stupid example. But here's all I know. If I would have had my phone in my hand, reading Twitter, <laughs> you know what happens to me? Honestly, I'm not proud to admit it. I get all the noise of the world in me, and I want to fix everyone and solve everything, which makes me less sensitive usually to the people that are standing right in front of me. And I'm not talking about the cashier now. I'm talking about even those that I love. So let me start with a confession and a qualification. The confession is, uh, on a scale of beginner, intermediate, to expert, I'd consider myself an intermediate, like beginner to intermediate on what we're, living, we're speaking about today. So I'm not the expert telling you how to do it. I'm a fellow apprentice trying to follow Jesus, just like you, into these areas. But the qualification that I would say when we talk about these two spiritual practices that we're going to speak about is they don't change. But the rhythms of what they look like in our lives most certainly do. If you are in a season of life where you find yourself single, that doesn't necessarily mean you can live into these differently. It just may mean that you have a little bit different time. You may be in a different stage or again, a different season of life where perhaps you are married and you just had your first child. Well, that's a different season of life. And so the point isn't to judge one another. And here's the reality. It's with what we're going to talk about today. It isn't, it isn't the amount that you give God. It is that you give God whatever amount you have, and when you put it in his hands, you watch what he can do. Like a little boy with a little lunch that he trusted Jesus with, abundance wasn't the little boy having enough for himself. Abundance was trusting Jesus with the lunch and seeing what Jesus could do. So what we're going to talk about today is solitude, which is silence, and Sabbath. Solitude, which is silence, being alone, and Sabbath. Solitude, however, is, is an intentional choice. Solitude is not, it is not loneliness. That's not what solitude is. That's not what I'm speaking about. Solitude is an intentional choice. It is not a relationship status. So you can be absolutely single in your life and have no solitude in your life. It's not a relationship status. Yes, as the qualification is, it may look like different in different times and seasons and relationship statuses in our lives. Yes, of course. 
but it's not a relationship status. So it's, again, we tend to judge others who are in different circumstances or situations than are our, at our own. It doesn't matter. You know, when we're this age, we think it'd be better to be this age, and this age, better to be this age, and this age, I'd rather be this age. And we do all of these things, and we look to one another. Well, if I was in your shoes, I had more time, I could do... No, 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 no. Spiritual disciplines, yes, they're different, but again, it's not a relational choice. It's not a relationship status. It's an intentional choice. This is what solitude is. Solitude is being alone with Jesus long enough where you learn to cast your cares on him because you're learning to trust that he cares about you. That's what solitude is. Solitude is being alone with Jesus long enough where you learn to cast your cares on him because you trust that he cares for you. That's what it is. Now, there's two ways that we can interpret this that are really, really important. How many of you in your weekly or, sorry, excuse me, you, if, you live in, if you live in Ontario, I'm not sure where it is if you live in Quebec, but how many of you take your trash to the curb or to a, like a chute in an apartment building, but you get rid of trash from your place bi-weekly? Can I see your hands, please, online? Hands up in the chat. Okay, here's what you do when you're getting rid of trash. Number one, you want to get rid of it. Number two, usually if you're trying to get rid of trash, you don't want any of the trash getting onto you. That's, that's gross. I have a neighbor who judges me bi-weekly, and I know it. I know it. And particularly after birthdays and Christmases. I know it. Because they, my neighbors, they walk bi-weekly, and they bring one can to the corner. One can of trash. I look like the city dump. I know, I know. I, if Ottawa ever receives bag limits, it is entirely my fault and responsibility. I know that. How, how, how many of you are just like, when you put trash at the end, sometimes you look and you go, my Lord, how did we do this? How did we do all this in two weeks? But here's the thing. We're going to read the scripture in a moment. Here's what the scripture says. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Free cares for you. Direct translation, like you're getting rid of trash, take it and throw it. Here's what many of us do. We pray and we cast our care to the Lord and then like fisher people, we reel it back in. We throw out our anxiety and we reel it back in. We throw out our worry and then we reel it back in. We say the words and then we reel it back in. No, no. So solitude is designed. It's designed to be a place where you and I can learn how to cast our stuff on the Lord like trash and not bring it back into the house, not bring it back into the heart, not bring it back into the home. Here's a question that I cannot answer for you, but you need to go on the journey to answer for yourself. How do you specifically cast your cares on the Lord? I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I memorized that scripture many years ago, but when I was asked specifically, how do you do that just a few years ago, I couldn't give a concrete answer. I can't give a concrete answer for you. But here's what the scriptures say. In Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 44, it says, When it was day, he, Jesus, went out and made his way to a solitude or a destitute or a deserted place. When he went out, he made his way to a deserted place. Jesus. He wanders away from the crowds, away from the disciples, away from the noise of life to get alone with the Father, to speak to the Father and have the Father speak to him. This is what's happening. But then it says here that even as Jesus is doing this practice, it says the crowds were searching for him. And so they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. 
I don't know what you know, but that's a lot of pressure and that's an expectations coming on Jesus. But Jesus said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in synagogues here of Judea, but there were other towns that he was going to go to. And so Jesus in this moment is experiencing both external and internal noise. He is experiencing pressure and expectations. If you use a little bit of your sanctified imagination, it's not a stretch to be able to understand that here in this moment, he's in Judea, he is preaching, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. All Jesus' activity is occurring, and the town is coming alive, the town is loving it. He's doing all of these things, and then Jesus is getting ready to leave, and the town now begins to put pressure and expectation on him not to leave. They want him to stay. At this moment, Jesus is God, and he's man. He is in one place at one time, and they're seeing kingdom activity. And so as Jesus is about to go, you can imagine if somebody was in the town who had someone who's sick, who wasn't yet getting, you know, didn't get to Jesus, didn't get to the moment, pressure and expectation, and man, oh man, oh man, if he was this guy, he would stay, and he'd make sure that we're all good. But there were other places Places that Jesus needed to go. So he has external noise all around him. Do this, stay this, come here, go there. All this pressure upon him. Again, he's leaving one region where there would still be sick or demonized or those who would need to hear the gospel, but he's going to another region. In addition to the outside pressure pushing on Jesus, he also has internal pressure. He has three and a half years, that's it, to raise up these 12 individuals to proclaim and do everything that he's called to do. So he has this internal clock that is ticking. There's an old expression that says that the lifetime or an opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of that opportunity. That it's a defined area, it's a defined season in our hearts and lives. And so Jesus has three and a half years with which to engage these things. Yet there's one thing I want you to note. It says, the scripture says, that Jesus would withdraw to a deserted place to spend time from the Father. Most of us, we rest from work. Seems to me that Jesus ministered or worked from rest, which is very different. There is not a single scripture that you and I can find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that describes Jesus ministering out of busy anxiety, worry, or frenzy. Jesus lived this spiritual practice of getting alone with the Father to hear what is on the Father's heart and for him to pour out his heart to the Father. Jesus shows us that solitude is an essential spiritual practice it's an essential spiritual practice in all of our lives. Jesus was not going to lose his life. He was going to give his life, and he let the Father use his life, but he wasn't going to lose his life. Here's what he said, and it's a question that he asks each of us in Mark eight thirty six. What does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose their life? What does it benefit? Said differently, not the way Jesus was saying it, but again, for my life, what, what does it benefit? What does it benefit to get all wound up with all the noise out there if we're not present for the people who are closest in our lives? I'm not proud to admit it, but I have had seasons in my life where the noise out there got the best of me. 
And those that I love the most got the least of me. And here's what's amazing. When that happened, I still didn't fix any of the noise out there. Didn't fix it. And by the way, let me just pause here for a quick second, like a little rock skipping across the water. I didn't realize how many of you were experts in everything. (laughs) But now that I follow you all online, you're experts in everything. Everything. Like from NFL football, experts, all the way right up to epidemiology. Experts. Like, look it, look it. I know like you're this close to being a doctor because you have watched 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. So I know you're cl- like you're like this close. You're this close. I get it. I get it. I get it. So you know one of the things that creates tremendous lo- noise in my life and your life is when we step outside of the agency that God has asked us to operate in. We are learning in this season that we don't control everything and that we need one another. We really need one another. And we need people with expertise. And certain doesn't mean we can't have opinions. It just means that my opinion should never be taken as expertise. Grade 12 biology. That's the limit. Solitude and silence is a spiritual practice, again, where we cast all our cares on him because he cares for you. Some of you this week, I want you to try to post less and posture more. Post a little less and posture more. Take those two minutes and maybe don't post and posture your heart and say, Lord, in this moment, I can't fix all that. It needs to be fixed, but I can't fix it. So Lord, I posture my heart in this place of silence and solitude. And I cast these cares upon you, and I trust that you care. What could silence, what, why is solitude so difficult? I don't know what the answer is for you, but for me, there's two reasons that make solitude really hard. Number one, I am much more comfortable inviting God to join my life than I am him leading my life. In other words, I'm much more comfortable with, this is what I'm going to do today. God, would you join me in all these things? I'm much less comfortable when I'm doing everything in my life for him to say, now I want you to do this today. Time out. That's not on the agenda. I'm much more comfortable. I am much more comfortable living life on my terms than I am on his plans. This is one of the things that makes solitude difficult. Quieting my life, even as I go about my day, quieting my heart so that I can hear. Is there someone that I need to encourage today? Someone that I need to pray for today? Someone I need to reach out to today? Someone who I just need to listen to today? And the second reason why in my life solitude is hard is because when I'm alone and quiet, All kinds of thoughts, emotions, and anxieties often come to the surface, and I'd rather not deal with them. Thank you very much. But remember, the Holy Spirit is bringing those things up because he wants us to cast them out. (laughs) Rather than to live our lives with them all in and being defined by them. 
So what, what could that look like for you this week? Here's something that you could try if you want to practice this spiritual discipline of solitude. Begin with two minutes of silence. Then read your Bible or your devotional. And in those two minutes, whatever comes up, just give it to the Lord. Cast it onto the Lord. What that looks like for you, I'm not sure. You've got to figure out what that looks like. And then ask Jesus to help you live more like him just for today. Look, at my posture today is not to make your life more burdensome. My posture today is the opposite. I believe God's word is not to make our lives more filled with anxiety and things that we need to do and things that we're doing wrong. No, I think it's the opposite. I think that's actually the narrative of our world. Do more, do more, be better, do this, get this done, accomplish more, achieve more. And the word of the Lord is actually coming to us to unburden our hearts so that we can be fully present. How many know that we are both human beings and we are human doings? It's the being part sometimes that's difficult. So begin with two minutes of silence. For some of you, oh, that's going to be really, really hard. It's okay. Some of you are like, that's no problem. I can sit for 20 minutes in silence. Amazing. I can't. I'm at two minutes, and I've worked up to it. Two minutes of silence. Here's a similar vein, and this is the one we're just going to season. There's a similar vein. There's another practice that God set out for humanity from the very beginning that we as North Americans have just absolutely trampled underfoot, and it's called Sabbath. It's called not just solitude. It's similar to solitude, but it's called Sabbath. Seven days. We all have seven days. But there's one day that is called holy. It's called Sabbath. It's called a day that is set apart from the others. Sabbath is this. Sabbath is taking a day to rest and to trust that as you are resting, God is working. Aren't you glad that when you sleep, God doesn't sleep? He never does. That when you're working or when you stop working doesn't change that God is always working in our hearts and lives. And so Sabbath is this intentional practice every single week where we can trust that while we're resting, while this isn't fixed and maybe the house isn't perfectly clean and this isn't in its place and this still needs to get done and that still needs to get done, that we have six days for those things, but there's one day that is to be set apart for rest and to trust that all things will get done. If you haven't noticed a theme yet in following Jesus, again, it is this, that what God entrusts into your hands, that you return a portion into his hands, and that he can do more with what you will trust and return to him than you can do with everything that he gives you. That we're stewards. It's the same thing of our time. It's the same thing of our week. It's the same thing of our finances. It's the same principle. And here's the bottom line for me, for you, and for every single human. Ultimately, this comes down to a, a question of control and trust for every single one of our lives. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 says, God blessed the seventh day and he declared it as holy. It was set apart. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 10 says, Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You're to labor for six days, do all your work. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. And so Sabbath is worship. Sabbath is you and I admitting that we are not God, where you can, again, that you work from rest, not only rest from work. 
A question I want you to ask yourself is, I want you to think about your life and I think about all your seven days. Does any day look distinctly different from the other? Do they all blend? Are they all the same, practically the same? If they are, then you may want to cultivate a day of Sabbath. Not you may, it's a command from the Lord that we are to set apart a day. Now, Sabbath, again, it's a made decision, not one that you make every week. If you wait to make it every week, it won't happen. Sabbath is detoxing from accomplishment and accumulation. It's moving us from production to abiding in God's presence. I like how Rich Villadas says this. At its core, Sabbath, everyone say Sabbath. Sabbath, Sabbath keeping is not just rest from production, It is resisting the pressure to find our identity in our productivity or our procrastination. For some of you, it's like achieve more, achieve more, achieve more. And for others of you, it's like, no, I want a life of leisure. I want a life of rest. I want a life of manana tomorrow. I'll deal with it later. No, no, it's both of those things, surrendering both of them to the Lord. Jesus said this about Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. It's our final scripture with three more comments. It said, Who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it's lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. So Sabbath is taking time to rest and to do something that brings you life. Of course, it cannot be sinful, but it is something that brings you life and, honor, and honors God. To start with the basics, set aside 24 hours. Just try it this week. A period of rest and worship and do what is good. Do what brings you joy and honors God. Now, if you are single, then you get to sort of define what that looks like without a lot of outside noise and interference. If you're married, you may have to have a conversation with your spouse because, again, to take 24 hours and be like, you know what, I'm going to orchestrate it completely this way, that may not work for them. So you have to have a bit of a conversation. If you have others like kids in the house, then you have to engage that conversation. So again, it's not a self-defined life. You have to do this in relationship. But I encourage you to take a day and do something. So again, for some of you, that might be, I just want to go for a walk. Nobody likes walking when it's minus 30, but let's believe God that for that to end today. And then we get snowbageddon tomorrow because God loves us so very much. All right. Hey, we chose to live here. Every year it's this way. But do something that brings you life. For some of you, that may mean, I, I, I just love to play Scrabble. Who here loves Scrabble? Can I see your hands, please? What is wrong with you people? Why do you like Scrabble? You should, you should have saw that as a setup coming the whole way. My brain's not wired for Scrabble. That's wonderful if it is. You may just love doing board games. For me, the names give them away. They're just boring. They're bored. I, I don't want to do them. I don't want to drive me nuts. Anyways, great. But sometimes, again, to be, the family wants to do a board game. Well, all right, here we are, right? We do things sometimes we don't want to do, just like they do things that they don't want to do, so we can all do them together. So do things that bring you life. Some of you, in Jesus' name this week, sit in the messy house and resist the urge to clean it for one day. Oh, some of you, Jesus loves you so much, and I do too, some of you, this, you, you couldn't hear. I would love just to go into your cupboard and take a cup down off of the counter and just put it on the sink and just don't touch that for one day. Just rest. <laughs> just rest. 
And others of you, it's the opposite. Some of you, a little too much rest. Okay, get your butt in gear, do something for goodness sakes. Right? Like, you know, I haven't, I, I'm living in such Sabbath, I haven't cleaned the house in a year and a half. No, that's not Sabbath. That's not right. All right, just get engaged. Okay, together let's stand and end here. Solitude is spending time with Jesus where you learn to cast your cares and trust that he cares for you. Start with two minutes. Start with two minutes before your Bible reading, your devotional. Just try it. And whatever comes up, learn how to cast that on the Lord. Like you bring your garbage, not like you reel it back in. And Sabbath is taking a day to rest and to trust that God is working. Maybe a conversation with those you love, what that looks like, but engage it. And there's a reason, by the way, these are called spiritual disciplines or practices. It's because they take lots of practice. So be patient. Be kind towards yourself. They're not easy. And for some of you in particular, these two spiritual practices of solitude and Sabbath, they're going to feel like detox. They are. They're going to feel really, really difficult. But that's okay. Remind yourself that Jesus is making you into something that only he can make you. And that being more like Jesus does feel at times like dying to ourselves. Living a life of freedom in Christ does not mean living a life of ease and comfort and only experiencing like that side of it. Sometimes it feels like things in us dying so that he can resurrect what really needs to be present. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we thank you that your God and therefore, by definition, we're not. I pray this leak, Lord, that you would teach each of us how to cast our cares upon you. Maybe as we take 12 hours to start, or maybe a whole day, what does it look like to rest and to trust that you've got it, that you're working? What does that look like, God? Lord, I pray this week that you would help us not try to fix the whole world at the expense of our inner world becoming an absolute mess. Being so preoccupied by other things that we're not present with those that we need to be. Father, together as we are fasting and praying and now engaging solitude and Sabbath, Lord, we throw off the weight of being perfect. And we embrace what it is to be in your presence, to abide in you. And if we can learn to do that, then you've promised that we'll bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 